0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Genesis. My name is Ben. I'm the campus pastor here at our Noblesville campus, and I'm so glad that you've chosen to be with us this morning. I actually have uh, some special guests here visiting this weekend, too. My mom and dad are here at this service. Would you like to meet my mom and dad? Mom and dad, why don't you stand up? Come on, stand up. And I I do this partially because uh, my dad just retired from 40 years of full-time ministry, and I bet he made a lot of people stand up in those 40 years. So... Mom and Dad, I love you guys. It's good having you with us this morning. Well, today, I have the privilege of kicking us off in a new series called Follow Me. Our lead pastor, Paul Mumaw, along with 18 others from Genesis Church, flew out yesterday morning for Port-au-Prince, Haiti. They're going to be serving alongside Nehemiah Vision Ministries for the next week. And, uh, And so the responsibility falls to me to kick us off in this series. I know many of you met for the first time in your Follow Me connection groups. Uh, earlier this week, and I'm really encouraged by how many of you are making that a priority uh, who have joined into a group. I want to just say again, if you haven't gotten into a follow me connection group yet, it's not too late. Uh, There's still time. You can head out to our info hub in the lobby to learn more about those groups, where they meet, when they meet. Uh, You can also go online to genesischurch.me to get connected in a group. Uh, But this morning, before we get started, before we jump into this, uh, I want to take just a minute and pray over this series, because this is, here's what I believe. I, I believe uh, that God wants to do something big in our church, in your life and in mine, through this series. I believe uh, that if we come before him and we humbly uh, seek his face, seek to know him, seek his word, uh, that he's going to change us through this series. And uh, I expect great things. So let's pray together before we get started this morning. Father God, you uh, are infinitely worthy of all of our attention and all of our devotion and all of our worship and we come before you this morning father uh, desiring you desiring more of you desiring to know you better and we commit these moments and this study uh, to you uh, to your purposes we invite your spirit here father we invite his leadership in our lives and it's in Christ's name that we pray amen well I want to start this morning by asking a question And uh, it's a question that will probably have as many answers as there are people in the room uh, to hear it and to respond. And the question is simply this. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean uh, to wear that title? Uh, What are the qualifications for it? Are are there certain things that you have to do? Uh, Are there certain things that that you can't do if you want to wear that title? Uh, You know, if there's a list of things that you should or shouldn't do, who gets to make the rules? And can the rules be different from one person to another? Well, we can certainly think of a lot of things in response to this. Maybe when you think about what it means to be a Christian, uh, you think of qualities like loving or caring or gracious or generous. Uh, maybe you think of a person's morality or, or maybe the things a Christian shouldn't do, like no, no drinking, no smoking, no cussing. Maybe when you think about what it means to be a Christian, your thoughts... Um, Go towards someone in your life who has worn that title, and maybe that hasn't been a positive experience for you. So when you think about what it means to be a Christian, uh, words like judgmental come to mind, or narrow-minded, or, or hypocritical. But there's certainly uh, a reality that we need to face, that, that in the day that we live in, there are so many different thoughts and opinions about what it means to be a Christian. In fact, there's, there's so many that that title really doesn't mean much of anything anymore. I mean, we can't, we can't know really anything about someone just because they say, hey, I'm a Christian. In fact, I recently heard a pastor share some research that indicated that almost four out of five Americans would say that, that they're Christians. So almost 80% of all Americans uh, would put themselves into that category. And yet this pastor shared that out of that 80%, less than half of those folks attended church on a regular basis. Less than half believed the Bible to be accurate. And over half did not accept a biblical uh, worldview, a biblical view of the world. And out of that first group, that first 80% who would identify themselves as Christians, nearly half of those folks identified themselves as born-again Christians, okay, as if there's any other kind of Christian. But, but in this study, uh, it identified born-again Christians as men and women who said they had made a personal commitment to Jesus and will go to heaven because they've accepted him as their savior, And yet within this group of born-again Christians, many expressed belief that their works could earn them a place in heaven. Some believed that Jesus sinned while he was on the earth. And many described themselves as nominally committed to Christ. You know, for me, one of the most sobering passages in the entire Bible is found in Matthew chapter 7. It's Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And Jesus says this, I mean, every time I read it, it causes me to ask some questions. And I wonder, could it be that statistics like the ones I shared with you just a minute ago are really pointing towards a reality that Jesus warned us about over 2,000 years ago? Is it possible that there are a number of people around the world who would act in the name of Christ, that they would identify by the name of Christ, that they would call themselves Christians, but biblically speaking, they are not? Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Many and when Jesus said these words, understand that he was talking about about people who called him Lord. These were religious people. He's talking about people who would identify themselves as Christians, but who aren't acting. Uh, they aren't act, actually following Jesus or doing His will. And Jesus will say to them, "I never knew you." You see, the problem with that label of Christian is that that we've taken it and we've we've shaped it and we've reformed it to mean whatever we want it to mean. And as long as I can wear that, that title, as long as I can call myself a Christian, whatever that means to me, then I'm okay. As if the end goal was ever just to get people to wear that title. But did you know that Jesus never called us to be Christians in fact, in my reading of the scriptures, I can't see where he ever used that word even once. We don't even find the word Christian until we get to the book of Acts. Acts eleven twenty six 26 is the first place where it's used. And it says that, that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And the whole point of that title in that verse was that, that these early Christians, these early believers wanted to associate themselves with Christ, with his mission, with his purposes. So what Jesus said wasn't become a Christian. What he said was know me, abide in me, follow me. And that's how those first believers would have understood their title of Christian. What does it really mean to know Jesus and to follow him? Well, that's what this series is all about. That's what we're gonna study for the next six weeks. We're going to look at this and we're going to look at what scripture has to say about these things. And I want to challenge you to make this a priority. I want to challenge you to be here for the entirety of this series, to study it with us, get in a group and study it with others from Genesis Church. And let's be praying over this together. And let's be asking the Lord to reveal to us any false ideas that we might have about what it means to call ourselves Christians. Can we do that? Can we just be honest about these things and just pursue what the Lord would have for us and what he wants to teach us along the way? Well, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn uh, with me to John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, these words are going to be up on the screen. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one. You can go out to our info hub after the service and, uh, and tell them you'd like to have a Bible and we'll gladly give you one. Uh, but here's what I want to do today. For the rest of our time together, uh, I really just want to set the stage for, for what's to come for the rest of, of this series and uh, what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, this Journey of following Jesus. It all starts with a very simple invitation, and we find that invitation in John chapter one. We're going to start in verse 35, and uh, this is John the Apostle writing about John the Baptist. OK? So we've got two different John's here, but John the Apostle is telling the account of Jesus calling his first disciples. Let's read it together. John 1:35, it says, "The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. So John the Baptist had been baptizing in this particular place and on this day he's living up to his name and uh, and we find him there with a couple of his own students or disciples. Verse 36 it says when he saw Jesus passing by he said, "Look, the Lamb of God." And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, "What do you want?" And they said, "Rabbi," which means teacher, "where are you staying?" Verse 39, come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. Now I want you to look again at, at verse 38. John's two disciples uh, have left John, and they're now walking behind Jesus. And Jesus turns and he asks them, what do you want? And the disciples respond with a question of their own. They, they say, where are you staying? And I have to think that this was kind of a leading question You know what I mean by that? It's a question that that they're looking for more than just a verbal response. It's kind of like what happens uh, at our house oftentimes. We uh, live in a neighborhood where there are several uh, young kids who are my kids' age, and oftentimes all of the neighborhood kids will end up in, in our yard or in our home playing right around dinner time when I get home. Now, my wife is a fantastic cook, and so when I get home from work, our house is often filled with just delicious smells of whatever she's preparing for us for dinner. And inevitably, when there are kids over, one of them will wander into the kitchen with kind of a sheepish smile on their face, and uh, and they'll say, what is that smell? You know, what are you cooking? That smells so good. I bet it's going to taste good, too. And, and the reality is, you know, they're doing more than just asking that quest- question. They want to stay. They want to experience what it is that my wife is cooking. But, but here's the deal. If they don't get an invite from the cook, they can't stay. If Beth doesn't invite them to stay with us, it's see you later, kids, and you can go eat whatever your mom's cooking. And that's a good thing for me because it's more goodness on my plate. But, but if you don't get an invite from the cook, you can't stay. Now, Jesus is infinitely kinder than I am. And these two disciples, they ask, you know, where are you staying? And Jesus could have just answered their question and then gone on his way, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He Instead, he offers an invitation. And he responds in verse 39. He says, come and see. And with those words, he invites these men into his life. And that's the first thing I I want us to understand today. It's that Jesus offers the invitation. And I wonder if you might think of this in terms of your own life. Maybe, uh, maybe some of you are searching or maybe some of you have been on a journey of searching for God and maybe you're hoping for a similar invitation. Maybe you've asked some questions of God and, and you're desiring a favorable response and it may feel like you're the one doing all the searching and all the initiating and, and all the desiring uh, within the, the search for the Lord. But listen, long before that, long before your pursuit of God began, God was already pursuing you. In fact, you may not be searching, you may not be pursuing God at all, but Jesus has already offered you uh, a relationship. He's offered you this invitation. I think of the illustration of being adopted by God into his family. The Bible has a lot to say uh, about us being adopted as God's children and I want to share a picture with you, with you of our four kids. Uh, you've probably seen these kids running around here. Caitlin, our oldest daughter, and, and Jayla, and then Aubrey's there on the end, and my son, Josiah. And uh, I realize this is going to come as a shock to some of you, but uh, <laughs> one of our kids is adopted. Okay, I'm just going to put it out there. I know it's hard to believe, uh, but uh, my son, Josiah, came into our family in a different way uh, than our daughters did, but he is equally my son. He was equally our child. And why is that? Well, months before Josiah was born, the Lord asked my wife and I to get ready. That's all we knew. We didn't know what we were getting ready for, but we became faithful in prayer, asking the Lord uh, to prepare our hearts and to prepare our minds for whatever it was uh, that he was about to do uh, in us. And so two months later, when we found out about this little boy who was in need of a family, uh, our hearts were unified, and we were prepared, and we were ready uh, to jump into action. So we hired a lawyer to help us do things right and to make sure that Josiah's adoption was, was legal and that he would have a secure place in our family. We hired a home study to be done, and any of you who have been close to the adoption process know that this is an absolutely nerve-wracking step you're going through your house and putting those little plastic plugs on all the outlets and, and trying to soften all the corners in your home and just make it as child-safe as you possibly can because the last thing you want is for some social worker to come into your house and think you're some kind of child-hating psychopath because you've got the wrong kind of cabinet locks on your cabinet doors. And so we went through all of those steps, went through the home study, and ultimately we found ourselves uh, at the Hamilton County Court standing before a judge. And the judge asked us some difficult questions. And, uh, and I realized as we stood there that, that this man held all of the power to either grant or deny uh, Josiah's adoption into our family. But when it was all said and done, uh, that's exactly what happened. Josiah became a, a part of our family. This is a picture of us at court that day, and Josiah grabbed that gavel. I couldn't stop him, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but there we are. Now, why do I tell you this story? Well, do you know what Josiah's role was in this whole process? Absolutely nothing. Josiah did the same thing that all babies do. He ate, he dirtied his diaper, and he slept. Sometimes, if we were lucky, he slept a little bit. That's all he brought to the table in the midst of the process, and he had no idea what was going on to secure his place in our family. And, And I wonder, in the same way, if there are some of you here today who have never fully understood what it was that God did uh, to secure the place in his, secure your place in his family, that he would experience the rebellion of his creation, the creation that he loved, that, that that creation would turn and sin against him, and that he would respond to that rebellion in love by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life, to die a sacrificial death on your behalf and mine. That in his death, our sins could be forgiven and we could be brought back into a right relationship with God. But God didn't stop there. He rose Jesus from the dead by the power of his Holy Spirit, giving us a hope beyond this life, beyond the grave. And now as we read Romans 8 and we read about the fact that, that we look forward to our adoption as sons and daughters of God and the redemption of our bodies. This is a reality for you and for me because of what God did. And he did it before you or I even took our first breath. We, we didn't have anything to do in that process except for the fact that, that we screwed things up and we needed, we needed God to step in and, and to save us from these things. And he offered us an invitation in the midst of that. And it's the same invitation that we find in John chapter one. Let's pick up the story again in verse 43. Jesus is continuing on his disciple gathering journey. And we read that uh, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. When Jesus finds Philip, he he gives him this invitation. He says, follow me. The invitation was to come, walk with me, go where I go, do what I do, see the things that I see and spend time in my presence. What he doesn't say is clean up your act. You know, get it together. Here's a list of rules to follow. And, And here's the point. It's the second thing I want us to understand today. It's that the invitation that Jesus extends to us is to a relationship Not rules. He doesn't say follow the rules. He says follow me. And here's why this is a big deal because we know that there was a group in Jesus' day called the Pharisees, and these guys were always trying to earn the favor of God just by following the rules. In fact, they would come up with more and more rules just so that they could appear to be more and more righteous. But do you know what Jesus said about them? He said, You're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but inside it's nothing but death. And he tells us later on in the book of John what their real motive was uh, for all of, all of their rule following. In John 12, 43, it says, they loved human praise more than praise from God. Now, I want to be clear about this. There are rules, okay? Jesus is never soft on sin, but the reality is that rule following by itself can never lead to salvation, as if we could ever be good enough to earn our way into heaven, but here's what I believe to be true, that the overflow of a relationship with Christ will lead to a desire to, to pursue righteousness, to, to be in that right standing with God. And, and, but it has to begin with the relationship. You can do everything else right, follow all of the rules, but if you leave Christ out, it amounts to nothing Why? Because the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. You have sinned. I have sinned. And we have sinned against a holy, righteous God. There's no amount of good deeds that we could ever do to take that back. We don't need more rules to follow. What we need is a Savior. And here's what we see when it comes to Jesus. That following the rules without embracing the relationship leads to self-righteousness. But accepting Jesus' call to follow me leads to true righteousness. It's the righteousness that we read about in 2 Corinthians 5.21, where it says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's not a self-generated righteousness. It's a righteousness that's born out of this right relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, what does that right relationship mean? look like? What does it even mean to have a right relationship with Christ? Well, let's go back to John chapter one. After Jesus calls Philip, Philip can't help but tell others. Look at verse 45. It says that Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Well, come and see, said Philip. And right there, isn't it interesting, I love it, that Philip is already responding to Jesus' invitation to follow me. He did what Jesus did. He says, come on and see. Same thing Jesus said. Verse 47, it says, When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Well, how do you know me, Nathaniel asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, what just happened in this interaction between Nathanael and Jesus? Because we see Nathanael going from, from being completely skeptical to embracing Jesus as his king. And to understand this, I think there's a distinction that needs to be made when we refer to our relationship with Jesus. It's different than any other relationship in your life. Jesus isn't just one of the guys Okay, and I think maybe we have a tendency to approach him in this way. It's just a casual relationship. You know, we hang out together, we joke around together, we we watch the game together, because Jesus is always with you, right? But we approach this relationship with Jesus like we would any other relationship or friendship in our life. But here's the thing we, we like to think of Jesus as our friend, and Jesus has offered us friendship, but Jesus isn't only our friend. Jesus is the Lord. And when we understand that word relationship, not only as friendship, but who we are in relationship to God, that should change some things. When, when Jesus is put into his rightful place, he is the creator. We are the created. He is worthy of worship, and we are the worshipers. He's the Lord, and we are here to serve him. And when Philip first tells Nathaniel the good news, Nathaniel has a hard time grasping this. He can't understand you know, how, how anything good is going to come out of Nazareth, how Jesus is going to be any different than any other man who has ever come from there. And apparently, Nazareth you know, doesn't have a great reputation for, uh, for producing quality men, but when Nathanael meets Jesus face to face, he, he quickly realizes that this is no normal man. This is no, no normal man. He realizes that Jesus knows him. In fact, in verse 48, he asks Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus responds by telling him an intimate detail of his day. It was something that no ordinary man could have possibly known. And Nathanael recognizes this, and he declares that Jesus is the Son of God, and he submits in that moment to his king. Now, I think that that we can sometimes view Jesus the the same way that Nathaniel did. I I think we we can very easily approach him with skepticism. You know, Jesus, can you really do what you say that you can do? Are you really who you say you are? And I think in those moments, Jesus responds to us the, the same way that we see him responding here. It's come and see. You know, come and see for yourself. Watch what I do. You know, walk with me for a little while. But when we get to the point that, that we realize that, that Jesus really is who he says he is, the only right response that we could possibly have is to submit to him as our king. And that's the third thing that we see this morning is that the relationship leads to submission. Now, submission isn't a very comfortable thing for us to talk about. Submission isn't a, a popular word in our culture today. And I think it's because submission feels like failure. It feels like losing. It feels like we're giving something up. When I think about submission, I think about um, wrestling matches that I've watched. Have you, have you watched many wrestling matches? Uh, you know, if you're a wrestler, the last place you want to be is on your back, on the mat, with the other guy on top of you, putting you in some kind of hold that's going to cause you to have to tap out. It's even called a submission hold. You, you don't want to be there. You want to be on top. We want to be in charge. We want to win, right? We, we like our freedoms but I want to suggest that there is freedom in submitting to the right things. I have a friend who, uh, who works in a nursing home, and she told me a story recently about one of the residents who lives there. The, the guy's name is John. And, uh, and my friend, uh, Katie, told me that at the nursing home, they have happy hour every Friday. And so during happy hour at 3 o'clock, uh, there's refreshments, there's music, and everybody comes out for the party. Well, on one particular Friday... Uh, my friend looked over and saw John sitting by himself over by the wall. And so she approached John and, and she said, John, what's going on? And, and he said, you know what, I just, I really like to dance. And none of these ladies knows how to dance. And my friend Katie looked around and she said, well, John, they're all in wheelchairs. So I'm not sure you can peg that on them. But, uh, but John looked at her and he said, do you like to dance? And, uh, and my friend Katie said, you know what, John, I do like to dance. I'll dance with you today. And so they made their way out onto the makeshift dance floor, and there was some kind of a waltz playing. And they began dancing, and, and Katie very quickly realized that John knew what he was doing. In fact, he was a really good dancer, and later she would learn uh, that earlier in life he had been a dance instructor. And so she was dancing with a professional but, but she told me that she was stepping all over his feet, and, and she was just messing it up royally. And it got to the point uh, that John just stopped her, and he said, you know what? Just stop trying to lead and follow me. Just go where my feet go. Follow my lead, and, and let me do the one that's leading here. You see, for the dance to work, Katie had to submit to his leadership. And in the same way, for us to be in a right relationship with Christ, we're going to have to submit to his lordship. That's really what this series is all about. You've surely heard us, uh, I, I say us, you've surely heard you know, talk around the church uh, about making Jesus your, your lord and savior or accepting Jesus as the lord of your life. But the truth is, we, we can't make Jesus lord Okay, he is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. We can't make him be or do anything. We can only decide whether or not we're going to submit to his lordship. And what does that submission look like? Well, I think it's going to have to involve releasing control. We're going to have to, to leave some things, you know, maybe a lot of things behind to follow Jesus. Back at the beginning of this passage that we read, back in verse 35, you know, we encounter John's two disciples who go to follow Jesus. And these two men had already been following John the Baptist. But when Jesus makes the invitation, it's not his hope that they will follow him in addition to John. He's calling them to follow him instead of John. You know, you've maybe heard the the saying before that Jesus is either Lord of all or he isn't Lord at all. And listen, we are all following something. Every one of us in here is following something. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, we're all following after something. Maybe it's the pursuit of a career. Maybe you're following hard you know, after financial success, or, or maybe you're pursuing a, a certain relationship, or, or maybe a, a degree in school. Maybe you're pursuing a, a hobby, and that's where all of your, your money and all of your attention goes. But all of us are following something, and Jesus says, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me and in order to do that we're going to have to stop following everything else. Jesus isn't looking just to be shuffled into the mix of our lives. David Platt, he says it this way. He says being a follower of Jesus does not mean making Jesus a part of your life. It means Jesus is your life. I wonder this morning what's what's your life? What, what is it that's, that's in your life that you're pursuing first? What are, you, what are you running after the hardest? You know, If you were to stop and be honest about this, is it Jesus? Is it his lordship? Or has something else taken that place in your life? And maybe you've worn that title of Christian for a long time, but you know that there are some patterns or, or some habits in your life that are not consistent with who Christ is and who he's calling you to be. And it's time to put that down. It's time to submit to Jesus as Lord today and to, to release control and to follow him, to understand, you know, that right relationship and to move towards it. And we're going to give you an opportunity here in just a minute to, to talk to some folks and to pray with some folks more about what that might mean to, to follow Jesus fully. But maybe you're here today, and this is a lot to take in. Uh, Maybe you've come this morning and this is all brand new to you and that's okay. Maybe you just need to respond to that first invitation. Just come and see. Just come and see. And I want to invite you to be here with us over the next five or six weeks as we continue just to explore who Jesus is and what it means to follow him, what it means that that he would die to bring you into a right relationship with God. Just be a part of this with us. Just come and see. But right now, I want to invite you to, to close your eyes. And I want to give you some time to respond to the Lord in prayer. At the very start of this journey of following him, perhaps, I'm going to guide you through a few thoughts based off of what we've talked about this morning. And I want to give you an opportunity to speak to the Lord about these things. You know, we talked about the fact that it's Jesus who offers the invitation. And maybe you've been searching, asking questions of God, desiring that favorable response. Maybe for you this morning, just as you talk to the Lord, just commit to him that, that you desire to come and see. Ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. And thank him this morning that, that even as, uh, as you're coming and, and you know, desiring to meet with him, that, that you know that he pursued you first. We talked this morning about the, the fact that Jesus has called us to a relationship and not to rules. And, and maybe for you, it, it's been really easy just to follow the rules and, and not to have to mess with the relationship side of this. But, but Matthew 7 is clear that, that Jesus wants to know us. Jesus wants us to abide in him. And so maybe for you this morning, you need to spend some time just praying to the Lord. Father, I, I've i been pursuing the wrong thing. I've been running after just doing the right stuff, but, but I wanna grow in my relationship with you. I want to know you. Would you reveal yourself to me? And we talked this morning about the fact that this right relationship with Jesus leads to submitting to Jesus as Lord. And again, maybe, uh, maybe you recognize and you're just ready to be honest that, that Jesus isn't the Lord of your life, that you're not loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength as he's called us to. And, and what is it? What is it that's standing in the way of you fully submitting to him as Lord? Just be honest about it. Confess it to him this morning. Confess that that you're ready to put that down, that you're ready to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord of all. Jesus, I, I don't want you to be part of my life. I want you to be my life. And I hope that there are many others in this room this morning praying that same thing. Father, we thank you so much uh, that you have sent your son, Jesus, to die that sacrificial death, to bring us back into a right relationship with you, to understand that that we were created to worship you. This This is our whole purpose. This is our whole being, that we would glorify you with our lives. Father, over the next six weeks, would you uh, just continue to reveal yourself to us as we pursue you, as we strive to follow you? Would you reveal any uh, thought in our minds or any, um, anything in our lives, God, that is keeping us from this? Our greatest desire, Father, would be that we would know you, that we would know you better. Father, reveal yourself to us. Thank you for Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.